woman that lets you show fly away This life is gone. Fly away like a bird from prison bars afloat. Fly away. about you until you come, Lord God. Lord, we just uh, thank you for this time of worship. Lord, may you be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, amen.
How's everybody tonight? Good, good. If you have your Bibles, open up Second Samuel. We'll see uh, if we can get through the David's Psalm to sum up his life tonight as uh, we work our way through the rest of chapter 22. Uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 26. But if you remember, this is a, a psalm coming at the end of his life or just prior to the final words of David, which we'll find in the beginning of chapter 23. And as we look, this is, as David is looking back, he's pondering all the struggles, all the hardships of life, all the dips, twists, turns in the road, the things we weren't expecting. And uh, he just lays out this praise as he's, as he's looking back over it. He says in verse 26, With the merciful you will show yourself merciful. With the blameless you will show yourself blameless. With the pure you will show yourself pure. With the devious you will show yourself shrewd. As we talked about this a little bit last week, the concept is that same concept that we see in the pages of Scripture that teaches us whatsoever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. And we look in our lives and we think in our lives, boy, I wish I had more friends. What does that mean? That means I need to be more friendly. If we think, I, I sure like to experience more mercy in my life. What does that mean? I need to be more merciful. If I want more compassion in my life, I need to sow compassion. That we're sowing those things that we desire to reap. And so, the same way David is saying, with a, with a blameless, you show yourself blameless. The idea of, of living your life above reproach, of following the statutes of God, walking according to His Word, allowing His Word to be that light in your path that leads and guides you. And so David, as he's looking back, he's, uh, he's seeing these things. He says, you will save the humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty that you may bring them down. The Spirit tells us that uh, the proud person God will bring down. And so often in our lives, our struggle is in that concept of our, keeping our pride down. In other words, we want to take control. Oh, we, it's easy to say, I trust in the Lord, I trust in the Lord, and then I'm going to do everything I can to straighten out my situation. It's a whole other thing to say, I trust in the Lord, and relinquish your situation to God's hands, that He would take control. The idea being, not that we do nothing, but the idea being before we do anything, we go before the Lord. Before we make up our mind that this is what I'm going to do, this is my plan, this is how I'm going to do it, I go to the Lord. I relinquish my, my worries. I relinquish my fears. I relinquish all the things that are piling up in my day. I give them all to the Lord. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not part of your heart. Not most of your heart. With all of your heart says not to lean into my own understanding. That means before I decide my plans, the way my life is going to go, that I need to go before the Lord. Certainly in David's life, we can see the times when David sought the Lord before he moved and how God blessed that and how God would guide him and how God would lead him the right way. And the times when David didn't seek the Lord and just did whatever he thought was right and he found himself off kilter in a place that he didn't want to be. So David says... That's that attitude of the proud. So, long, so, so often we think the proud is somebody else. When we go through the pages of Scripture, the pages of Scripture are a mirror, not a flashlight. 
It's real easy for us to pick up the page of Scripture and point it at somebody else. Are you listening? Are you listening? The question is, am I? Do I hear what the Lord's saying? Because the proud will be brought low. They're going to fail. You're going to falter. Have you ever found yourself, the more you try to change your situation, the more your situation just gets worse or stays the same? The Lord says, I'll bring the proud down. When our efforts reach the point where we finally come to exhaustion in our own strength and we go before the Lord and we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, what's he say? I'll lift you up. It's God that will strengthen. I can't tell you how many times I find myself running around that same mountain, chasing down some problem that I'm going to solve, and I, and I exhaust myself. And the, the reality is, I should have brought that to the Lord. I should have relinquished it to Him. Before I started running like a crazy man, I should have said, Lord, man, this day is going to be crazy, Lord, and I just need you to guide my steps. Will the Lord answer that prayer? Sure He will. It's hard to pray that prayer after you've already started everything. And you're running headlong down the road. Oh, by the way, Lord, I forgot to check with you, but would you cover everything for me? Yeah, He will. He's going to cover it all. It's going to go into chaos. And when you crash at the other end of it all, and you humble yourself, the Lord says, He'll, light, he'll lift you up. Listen, He tells us in verse 29, For you are a lamp, O Lord. And the Lord shall enlighten my darkness. Psalm 119. The word of God is a light to my feet, a lamp unto my path. The word of God. The headlights that should guide us. For you, for by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. What is it that Jesus said? Without me, you can do nothing. But in, Paul would write in Philippians chapter 4, what? I can do all things, How? Through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things with Him. And that's what He's saying. I can take on an army. Didn't we see that in the life of David? Didn't we see, remember Jonathan? Remember Jonathan looking over at the army and saying, you know, to his armor bearer, maybe the Lord would deliver them to us. I mean, God could deliver the army to, my, to, to many or few. So why don't we just go find out if the Lord will deliver them to us? With the Lord, we can take on a troop, an army. We can overcome a wall. What do we see in the, the, the cities around Jericho, right? When the Lord made the walls fall down. So does the Lord still make the, the walls, the strongholds in our life fall down still today? Will God still bring down the walls? Sure He will. Sure He will, because I can do all things through Christ. Remember our Greek lesson, right? I can do all things, which all means what? Doesn't mean most. No, it means all. All means all, and that's all that all means. I can do all things. That means there's nothing I can't do with Him. With Him. He goes on in Scripture, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven, and He is a shield to all who trust in Him. Do you feel that way? Do you look at your life right now, and you think, As for the, the Lord's ways are perfect. Or do you think, Lord, I'm not really sure you know what you're doing in this particular situation. I wish you would change this. I wish you would do that different. I'd like to see this this way and that that way. David, as he looked back over his life, he recounts for us. He, he says for us, listen, God's ways were perfect. Everything he brought me through was exactly what I needed. Every struggle I faced was exactly what I needed. 
Every challenge, every giant that the Lord brought before him. Some he had victory over, some he failed in. But every step he says the Lord's way is perfect. It's perfect. When we can come to that place in our personal walk with Christ. When we can come to that way and, and not be second guessing the Lord in the areas of our life that we, that we still have the whys over. Right? I mean, we have whys. There's, there's questions we want answers to. We don't understand the whys. There's areas in my life I, I can still look back over and think, you know, why did that happen? What was that for? But if I could go back, and if I could remove those areas of my life, it would be impossible to remove those things without changing my character. The character that I have today is a result of all those things I went through. And the Bible tells us that the trials that come into our life come to develop our character. And character brings hope. And hope does not disappoint for the love of God is poured out through the Holy Spirit. So in every one of those areas in our life, there's purpose. There's purpose. Can we say all God's ways are perfect? All his knows. All the people that we love that he took too soon. All the tragedies that we endured. Can we say God's way is perfect? Don't forget, David, while he's writing this, he's got three boys in the grave. One, maybe two of them that he knows are eternally lost. Yet he said, God's ways are perfect. He was able to deal with the disappointment in God by doing what we see Jesus Christ do at the cross. You remember when Jesus Christ is, is facing the cross in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. The scripture tells us that when he was reviled, what did he do? He did not revile in return. When he was beaten, when he was tortured, he did not curse, he did not threaten. But instead, he relinquished all his hurts to his father. And he walked the road God had before him. That's how the Bible says that Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame... But he endured it for the joy that was set before him. You're his joy. He saw you in the future and he said, man, that's it. That's where I'm going to go. That's what. And he said the way he was able to do it was by relinquishing all his hurts to the hands of the Father. Do you trust that the Father will make all things right? When we continually take matters back in our own hands, we may never verbalize it, but what our life is saying is, I don't trust you. Every time we take it back. The good news is, God is long-suffering, isn't he? And he's eternally patient. And he's not going to lose his patience with us. He's going to continue to work in our lives and help develop the character that will lead us to the point where, like Christ, we can say, all your ways are perfect. All your ways are perfect. All those hard things that I went through, they were okay. I see the hand of God in them. I see God moving. The word of the Lord is proven. All the promises that God gave me, he, he kept. 
all the promises God gave me, like all things for we know, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. How about nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? Every single promise of God is proven. It's true. We may look at back and think it's not, but it, that's us lying to it. I, I tell kids in, uh, in football practice all the time that your body lies to you. Do you know that your body lies to you? Your body will tell you lies every single day. For example, for the kids, the kids are out there working. They are at the peak of their life right now. And they're pretty sure they can't take another step. And I say, your body's lying to you. It's your job, your mind, you as an individual to tell your body, I can. If you start telling your body, I can't, you'll be right. And you'll give up and you'll stop and you will never climb that mountain and you will never overcome that thing. Well, spiritually, we can see the same thing in our life. We can see that our body lies to us, that it that it, it'll tell us things that aren't true. It'll tell us God doesn't love me. It'll tell us that, that uh, my life should be easy. If God loves me, everything should happen my way, right? Because that's what you did for your children, right? Whatever your kids wanted, you gave them, right? No, I don't think we did that. I don't think we did that. And ne neither will the Lord do those things. Our body lies. We need to have the mind of Christ, right? Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus our Lord, who being in the very form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Man, that's a big key for us. It's not about me. If Jesus, the Son of God, could say, it's not about me, then who am I to say, well, you're right, it's about me. Oh, no. It's not about me. It's not about me. And that's what David was learning. The Lord, indeed, is his shield. For who is God except the Lord? Who is our rock except our God? For God is my strength and power. He makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of deer. He sets me in high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. And we talked about that last time. The idea that I can do the impossible. That I can bend that bow of bronze. He teaches me. Gives me the strength I need. He, he gives me the power. He is what I need. It doesn't say, David didn't say, I am strong. I have power. He said, God is strength. He is power. He's the one that's going to overcome. Not me. He. And, and just being submitted wholly and completely to him. For you also given me the shield of your salvation, and your gentleness have made me great. You enlarged my path under me, so my feet did not slip. You ever walk down a trail that you thought, I don't know what I was thinking when I started walking down this trail? There's a place out in California where we would climb a, an area called Forest Falls. And Forest Falls seemed like a pretty good idea. Every year somebody fell. Because you start on a pretty wide trail. But when you get up to the top of the falls, the trail is more like a trail for a billy goat. And it's super narrow, and you're right up against the cliff face. And if you, one, there's no rails, there's nothing to grab. You step wrong, and you're taking a plunge off the falls. 
And you get up there and you realize how tiny that path is. Well, the psalmist says here, when my path is small, you enlarge the path before me. That you, you, you help me, you give me sureness of steps. You ever wondered, what should I do? Where should I go? How should I? What's my choice here, Lord? Where, what direction do I go, right or left? Well, the Bible says, a trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And what will He do? He will direct your steps. The psalmist said, He enlarges my path. He makes my path wide, so I know where to go. So I know where to step. He makes my feet sure. So I don't know which way to go, and I just commit myself to the Lord. He's going to give me the, the faith that I can take that next step, and that it's going to hold me up. It's going to hold me up. I can continue to walk. I continue to move so that my feet will not slip. Verse 38, he says, I have pursued my enemies and destroyed them. Neither did I turn back again till they were destroyed. And the enemies, the Bible says that when we were in our flesh, we were at enmity with God. We were enemies of Him. The Bible tells us that the spirit and the flesh are at war together. David was able to say, I always pursued my enemies all the way to the end. Do we look at our battle with our flesh the same way? That we mortify the flesh. That's what Paul would tell us. To obliterate it. To wipe it out. To recognize that, that that covetousness, those attitudes, those sinful attitudes in our life are our enemy. And to do battle with them to their utter destruction. Or do we make excuse for them? Do we keep them around like that pet scorpion? You know, we just keep them on the shelf and we play with them. Every once in a while he stings us. But he's our pet, and we just want to play with him. What's a scorpion do? He stings. What does sin do? Same thing. It stings. It stings. David says here he pursued his enemies. He, he ultimately went, away, went against them until they were destroyed. And he said, I have destroyed them and wounded them so that they could not rise. They have fallen under my feet to complete, to utterly finish to complete the battle this is how paul said it i have fought the good fight of faith paul got to the end of his life his the final chapter his swan song that he writes and he says i fought the good fight i ran my race to the full it's too late at the end of your race to say I wish I would have run my race. I wish I would have fought my fight. Here David is at the end of his life. Same way. I fought the good fight. I walked with the Lord. I stayed in the path. Now, not that I was perfect. But that I continued moving forward to the Lord to the end. To my last step. Billy Graham is going to be able to say. I fought the good fight of faith. Because that's what he's always been about. I think Greg Laurie one day is going to be able to say the same thing. Skip Heitzig. I think there's many people who are going to say. Because their life has been. I got on the path with the gospel. I've been proclaiming the gospel. I've been taking the good news to the nations. To whoever will hear. I've made that my life from beginning to end. And here I go. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. There's no other time to, 
to start to do that then right now. If we say, I'll start that tomorrow, we're never going to be able to say, I fought the good fight. We say, I fought the good fight today, in the now, right now, as we move forward with the Lord. It says in verse uh, 42, or I'm sorry, in 41, You have also given me the necks of my enemies, so that I have destroyed those who hated me. And they looked, but there was none to save, even to the Lord. But he did not answer them. And I beat them as fine as the dust of the earth. I trod them like dirt in the streets, and I spread them out. Same concept. The idea being, what have you done with the enemies? Now, our enemies aren't physical. Not today like it was for David. Our enemies, we do not do battle with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spirits of darkness. How do we have the victory over those battles today? The Bible says that the battlefield is prayer. The battlefield is prayer. You want to know whether or not you're submitted to God? It comes in two ways, prayer and obedience. Look at your life. If you have a life of prayer and a life of obedience, then you're submitted to the Lord. If you can say, nope, I don't really have a very good prayer life, or I'm not really walking in obedience, then you're not submitted to God. To be submitted to God, you have those two things. Prayer and obedience. Moving forward, trusting in what He will do in our lives. And this is what He's telling us. Do the battle. Fight the good fight. You also delivered me from the strivings of my people. And you have kept me as the head of the nations. A people I have not known shall serve me. Even Philistines joined with David. Philistines ultimately were the enemy of God's people all the way through. But in watching David's life, there were Philistines who came over and said, You know what? Uh, We don't want this. We want what you got. We want this relationship. Still today, there are people who don't even know why why they want to be around believers. Maybe they don't know why they want to be at church. They don't know where they want to go or what that's all about. But they just know that the, there's a spirit there. Well, praise God. There's a spirit there. Come taste and see. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. That's why we come. That's why we gather together. That's why we want to hang out. That's why we want to love one another. Because the spirit of the Lord is indeed good. And every one of us at one time in our life was an enemy with God. Every one of us. But we made peace with God. And that peace with God then enables us to have peace with one another. We have peace with God. We have peace with one another. That's how it works. That's how we're created. That's how we're made. He goes on to say in verse 45, The foreigners submit to me as soon as they... Here they obey me. The foreigners fade away and become frightened from their hideouts and being a witness to others. In verse 47, the Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let God be exalted, the rock of my salvation. He begins, it brings him the proclamation. As he looks at the victories he's had in his life, as he looks at the works of God in his life, it brings him to a proclamation that the Lord lives. That God exists. Where did I see God exist? We can argue about God's existence in creation. The Bible tells us that the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen. The Bible lays out for us that that man is without excuse. No man will be able to say, I never knew you existed. God's going to say, there was enough evidence of me in creation, in the universe, 
for you to acknowledge. But that's not where we see the power of God evident. We see the power of God evident in changed lives. How did Peter become a knuckle from a go from a knucklehead to a guy who was willing to take several beatings and all kinds of ridicule and continue to preach the name of Jesus Christ? How does that happen? How does a guy go from running away from Jesus and allowing him to be crucified and his life do a total flip in the other direction to the point where they crucify him upside down and he doesn't care? And how does that happen for every one of the other disciples? And then how does that happen all down history in the lives of people over and over and over again? How do you go to the Sudan and see people who have been uh, macheted, arms cut off, disfigured, that still every day can get up and praise God? That aren't full of hate, but instead still able to function full of love. How does that happen? Because people are just that good? That's not been my experience. My experience has been... That's uh, the fingerprints of God in the life of a brother or a sister. The fingerprints of God. The fingerprints of God is a changed life. And when we begin to see that, we erupt in praise. When I see lives change, people turn. Think about where we were 20 years ago and where we are today. Nobody is where they started the Lord brings us down a road and, and bit by bit he changes and then one day we look back and we think, how did I get here? One step at a time. The hands of the master potter on the lump of clay taking out the garbage and building a vessel of honor. That's what God does. And when we see it, it makes us praise him. We praise him and when we see brothers or sisters struggling... We can still praise the Lord because we know that God will do a perfect work in him. Don't we? That God's going to accomplish a perfect work in his life. That God will mold. That the Lord is working. Taste and see. He is good. The Lord lives. He's the rock of my salvation. It is God who avenges me and subdues the people under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also... Lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. You able to do that? The psalmist, and so often we think when the psalmist is talking about deliverance, we think it means that, that nothing happened to him. When the psalmist is talking about deliverance, he's saying, I made it through. Oh, how do I know? Well, let's look at the 23rd Psalm. There's a phrase there. You know what the phrase is? Yea, though I walk through the valley of what? The shadow of death. Now what did he say? Yea, though I hang out there and visit for a while? No, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And then the psalmist changes, the pronouns change, and he says, you are with me. You're with me. You deliver me through Sometimes he delivers us from. But I'm always reminded of the, of the letter to the church in Smyrna. And the letter to the church in Smyrna is going, undergoing ten waves of violent persecution. The church members are dying. People are being killed. It is horrible, horrific. And Jesus Christ himself writes a letter to them. And he says to them, be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. 
He says, I'll wipe away every tear. I'll take care of you. There will be retribution. You just trust me. You trust me. That was his word to the persecuted church. His word to the persecuted church has not changed. You be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. I remember I several months ago when the whole Coney thing, I don't know if any of you guys saw it, but the Coney 2012, Joseph Coney, this guy that uh, leads the LRA, there was a big thing on YouTube uh, trying to make the world conscious of Joseph Coney and who he was. He's, he's kidnapped somewhere in a neighborhood of 30,000 kids and, and then um, brainwashed those kids into becoming his army. Uh, and so they do his killing for him. And, uh, you know, the, the world is trying to come together to stop Joseph Coney. And about the time that all came out, Edward Amaya came out with far-reaching ministries. And uh, he came out and, and did a presentation here at the church dealing with the chaplains. Remember the chaplains out in the Sudan? I don't know if you guys got a chance to see uh, the chaplains that are out there. But the chaplains are Christian men who are being raised up to protect their families so that when these armies like the LRA or whoever comes through the Sudan, they protect them so they can escape, so that they're not being raped, murdered, and killed. And so um, when I had a chance to talk to Edward, I just asked him a little bit about Joseph Coney, and and, uh, um, he said that uh, some of their chaplains, some of his friends, have been killed by the LRA. Yet... They're faithful to death. I won't surrender our women and children to the enemies of God. And so they fight and they die. And you hear their stories. You hear the guys get up there and they say, Yeah, you know, it's like the Lord said, bullets, don't hit any of them today. And they go running through this ambush and the bullets are flying by, but nobody gets hit. Because that's where their trust in the Lord is. Now, Obviously, it doesn't whiz by everybody. People die every day. It doesn't, Bible does not say be faithful until you see the miracle. It says be faithful to death. And I'll give you the crown of life. And here, David is making that same declaration. Hey, God delivers me. It's him who carries me through, carries me through, through uh, the land of the shadow of death. Therefore, in verse 50, he says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and I will sing your praises, I will sing praises to your name. For he is the tower of salvation to his king. God is everything to him. And he shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Remember God's promise to David and his descendants? He said, even if your descendants are evil, I will always have a throne for David. For the family of David. There is one king left to sit on that throne. You know that king's name? Jesus. He is of the lion, uh, lion of the tribe of Judah. Of the lineage of David. He is the last king to sit on David's throne. He is the fulfillment of God's promise to David. Even if your family is full of sin. The Messiah is still going to come through you. You ever looked at the family tree of the Messiah? Of Jesus? He's got some questionable characters in his family tree. God didn't choose perfect people. He chose regular people. Well, how does God work today in his church? Does he choose perfect people? No, if he did, I'd have been gone a long time ago. 
He chooses normal people, people with trouble, people who aren't perfect. That's, that's why we can relate, right? Because we're all that kind of people. <laughs> if we had to be perfect, we'd all be in serious trouble. When we come to chapter 23, we come to J- David's final words. David's final words says, These are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse, Thus says a man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. Yeah. Anytime I come to a section of scripture that says, These are the last words of, I listen. I mean, think about it. This is the last thing anybody's ever going to write down that I say. What am I going to say? The dying breath and your children are all there around your bedside. What, what are you going to tell them? Your last chance to impart whatever wisdom, whatever things you've learned. What are you going to say? What's going to be on your lips? He says in verse 2, The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said... The rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. Wouldn't you love it if that was the rule in our nation? He who rules over men must be just. Who's David talking to? A 12-year-old boy. You know his name? Solomon. We come to know Solomon as something else. There was something special about him. You guys remember what it was? I'm trying to think. He, he was a smart aleck? What was it? He's the wisest guy ever on the face of the earth. Because God came to Solomon. Remember the Bible tells us that God loved Solomon. You remember that? When Solomon was born, the Bible says God loved him. God loved him. So the Lord comes to him in the beginning of his reign. And he says, Solomon, you can ask anything. And I'll give it to you. Can you imagine what a blank check would be like from God like that? Ask anything. A 12-year-old boy. Whatever you want, I'll give it to you. Money, wealth, power, What is it? If you're sitting back and you're thinking, if I could ask God for anything, what would it be? And this 12-year-old boy says to God, I want the wisdom to rule your people. And so God gave it to him. And we still today, thousands and thousands of years later, talk about the wisdom of Solomon. The kingdom that Solomon built. So here David is saying, listen, this is how the king needs to be. This is how the ruler needs to be. He needs to be just. What makes him just? What gives him that justice? He's got a rule in the fear of God. What is it that that Solomon will write? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. If you're going to understand anything. Now people always trip out on that. Fear of God. Fear of God. That's the the reverence of God is the beginning of wisdom. The reverence of God. Do you revere Him? No? Then you're a fool. Then you're a fool. 
the Bible says, if you revere God, that's the beginning of wisdom. That's, that's the beginning of finding the truth. That you revere Him. That the Lord matters to you. We'll see what else he says. Not only ruling in the fear of God, but look at verse 4. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises. If you rule in the fear of God, you will reflect the light of Christ. If you live your life walking in the fear of God, you will reflect the image of him. The Bible says, do not be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We shouldn't look like the world. We shouldn't be like the world. Who should we be like? The Bible says he is continually, constantly conforming us into the image of his son. That we look like Jesus. It's, it's so cliche, it became a, a big joke, but... It's very true, the concept of what would Jesus do. I'm never going to ask an unbeliever, what would Jesus do? They're totally clueless. They think Jesus would do whatever they think is right in their head. Jesus would do whatever the Word says. Because He's God the Word. And this is the Word. So, they're the same words. What Jesus said, what we hold in our hands, the Word of God. God the Word. It's here. So... What would Jesus do? Are we conformed into his image? Or are we conformed to the image of the world? What is the, 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 what's the wind beneath our wings? Is it to be accepted by the world? To have peace with the world? Because the Bible says the world is at enmity with God. The world. We're in the world, but not of the world. We're here to be a light. We're here to be able to connect. We're here to be able to love. We're here to be able to reflect. David said, a king who rules in the fear of God will be like the light of the morning when the sun rises. That light just goes everywhere. Is that the way our life is? If it's not, perhaps the issue is the fear of the Lord. Do we revere God? Or do we revere man? The Bible says, fear of man is like a snare. What is your motivation for your day? I get up in my day, is my motivation the fear of man? If it is, it's going to be a snare. Why do I do what I do? Why do I talk like I talk? Why do I look like I look? Why do I do the job I do? Is it because I'm afraid of what man will think? Am I worried about man's opinion? Am I worried about what man thinks? Or, on the other side of that, am I thinking about, what is God looking for? Am I thinking about what is what is what is God one of my life? Am I am I is my motivation Him? Because I've shared with you before in my life, there's several times in my life where where my motivation, my issue, my my the trigger for my life was, man, I, it's it's all about wow, what's what's what are they going to think of me? Well, yeah, I, I would pray for my my meal right now, but what what are they going to think? I mean, they they're going to think I'm some kind of religious nut. I don't want them to think that. Never once did I think, what's God going to think if I don't do it? Well, God's a big guy. He can take care of that. I mean, that's, that's no big deal, right? I'm living my life by the fear of man, and it's a snare. It's going to trip me up. But I live my life by the fear of God. It's totally, radically different. And that's what David's saying. You shine. You'll shine like the morning. The light will go. 
and the, uh, like a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after the rain. I love the yesterday, the other day we had an incredible rain thing in Buell. Do you, any of you guys see it? Because I'm, I was squeegeeing. Because <laughs> when it rains that hard, it rains in the church, not just outside. It comes under every door. The whole grass field out there was full of water. It looked like a lake. I had my fishing pole. I was trying to see what I could get. So this incredible rain comes. That rain, I just love looking at things after the rain. Looking at the trees after the rain. Looking at the grass. My grass could look like it's near death. And then a big rain hits and it's like, ooh, look, it's green. It's green. It's, it's pretty. Is that the way our life looks? Like that, after the rain, after all the garbage is washed away. Is that, how we, is that how we look? Do we reflect Christ in what we do? Although, David said, Although my house is not so with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant. Well, David says, man, I, my house isn't perfect. It's not all clean. It's a little messy. You know that every family's messy? Maybe you think only your family's messy. <laughs> no. They're all messy. I don't care how good they look on the outside. You can sit down and you're, you're thinking right now, well, every family but this family. I've seen that family and they're just, every, they got it all together. Yeah? Be a fly on the wall. I promise that the husband and wife still fight. That the kids still disagree with mom and they have their spats. They have their issues. They have their skeletons in the closet. Every family does. David says, my family's not perfect yet. The Lord made an everlasting covenant with me. You know that God made an everlasting covenant with you? He made an everlasting covenant. He said, I will write my law in their hearts. I will remove their sin as far as the east is from the west. The everlasting covenant. It's not based on what you will do. It's based on what God has already done. All you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is trust it. And God says, I've done it all. I've made an everlasting covenant. Not because you're perfect. Not because you're good. Not because you fit in like everybody else. But because you're who you are. I have an everlasting covenant with you. Just like the one that David's talking about. He's ordered in all things and secure. And this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? David goes on to say, But the sons of rebellion shall all be as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. What's he saying? The sons of, of rebellion, they're like thorns. You ever reach down to pull a weed and grab a handful of thorns? Man, I, I need to be more careful. Right? He's saying it's like the sons of rebellion. You can't just go down and snatch it. And people used to tell me with Joseph, before Joseph was, was diagnosed with autism, you know, you just need to beat him more. That's just what I get because I used to say that about other people's kids. Remember the law of sowing and reaping? I remember this one, this one family had this boy who was so rebellious. And I used to think, man, one day somebody's just going to clean his clock and then he's going to get it. But there's only one problem with that. A lot of people cleaned his clock. He's not changed an iota. Because it is not the cleaning of the clock that changes the life. It is the power of God working in someone's heart that changes the life. 
The sons of rebellion are like the, the plant with thorns. Don't just reach in and snatch them up and think you got the answer. You, you seek the Lord because God knows how. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. It's the goodness of God as God reaches in. God knows how to just reach in just right. He gets around all the thorns. And he's able to do what needs to be done in the lives of the sons of rebellion. So when you look at someone else and you see the rebellious children in their life, be careful. Trust me, you don't have the answers. If you did, everyone would be coming to your house, knocking on the door, asking what to do. But we don't have all the answers. But what we do have is the, the Lord who does have all the answers. And who can lead us in all the answers. Who can help us reach the right way to go through and take care of the thorns. Because they can't be taken with hands. But the man who touches them, he must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear. And they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. The man needs to be rightly equipped. Rightly equipped with the tools to do the job. Ultimately, what happens in rebellion? Rebellion leads to destruction. That's what he's saying. Rebellion leads to destruction. And the man who's going to deal with rebellion needs to be properly equipped. He needs to have the right protection. What's that come from? Just brute force? No, he's not saying grab a sword and a spear and beat him with them. He's saying be equipped. How are we equipped today? In David's day, you were equipped for battle by being ready for battle. Today, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power. How are you equipped today? You're equipped today through prayer. You're equipped today through studying the Word of God. You're equipped today by entering into worship. Those things equip your heart for the things you are about to face. And when we neglect them, we are unprepared. Well, it doesn't change what's coming down the road. Around the corner is still the same thing, right? Whatever thing is coming still comes. Only now, I'm not armed with uh, compassion because I've been studying about the compassion of the Lord. I'm not armed with the words of the Spirit because I haven't been studying the Word. I'm not prepared to give the right answer. And so I react in my flesh. And a situation that could have been redeemed by being prepared is unredeemed because I wasn't I got to be prepared no you can't get ready at that time you got to get ready now you got to open the word now you got to spend time in prayer now you got to spend time praising God now you got to spend time seeking his face now and allow God to do that perfect work preparing you for what you're going to face for what you're going to find and he goes on Maybe we can get through the mighty men. He goes on in verse 8 and says, These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. So his final words are over. We're going to go back and, uh, and take a look at the best of the best of the best of David's men. There's some surprises in there, by the way. Of the best of the best. These are the names of the mighty men who David had. Joshe Boshebeth, the Takamite, chief among the captains. This is number one. This is the man, Josheb Bashabeth. He was also called Adino the Esnite. Why? Because he killed 800 men at one time. 
Now, I've seen a lot of crazy fights, even in movies, you know, where one guy takes on the world. Arnold Schwarzenegger makes really lame movies, and he made this really lame movie called Commando. And I used to laugh when I, I was young. It came out a long time ago. Don't rent it. It's bad, bad. Lame, lame, lame. But he's just running. Everybody, this whole army, 500,000 people are shooting at him, and nobody can hit him. Which is not usually how that works in reality. He's just running through. But when we read the pages of scripture and we come to the chief of the mighty men of David. Who followed the example that David gave. David is a type of Christ. He followed the example that David gave. And he was able to withstand 800 men at once. Pretty amazing. This is the day of sword and spear. Not rifle. So you're face to face, surrounded by 800 guys, and God gives them the victory. The Lord gives them the victory. One of the things that we're going to notice about the three mighty men, the top three guys, is typically everybody else runs away. That's how you usually end up surrounded by 800 guys. Wait a minute, where'd everybody go? But he stood faithful. And God was with him. And gave him the victory. And so we see the first. Adino the Esnite. Who killed 800 men at one time. And after him. Number two was Eleazar the son of Dodo the Echoite. <clears throat> the one. Uh, one of the three mighty men with David. When they defied the Philistines. Who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel had retreated. And he arose and attacked the Philistines. Until his hand was weary. And his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to plunder. The second guy, everybody runs and he just holds on to his sword and he uses the sword so much that they, they have to pry it out of his hand. How about your sword? How often is it in your hand? How often is it able to be wielded? The Bible says that the word of God is a sharper than a two-edged sword. Able to divide asunder between the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It's, it's able to do a perfect work in the hearts of men. Do you wield the sword of God so much that it's just stuck in your hand? Because that's how the second mighty man was. He, he used God's word and God gave him the victory. He used the sword and the Lord delivered him. And after him, the third guy, his name is Shammah, the son of Agi the Hararite. See, these guys all had terrible names. That's how they ended up being such good fighting guys, because they had these names to go by. Shammah. The Philistines had gathered together in a troop, and there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So they're fighting over peas. Why? They can have them all. I don't want any of them. Obliterate all peas. Hate peas. There's nothing good about peas. But the Lord told Shammah to guard the field of peas. So he stationed himself in the middle of the field and defended it and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Again, the same way. He stands in the middle of the field. The Philistines come at every side and he stands. He stands. He did. He liked lentils. He liked lentils. The question is what do we stand for? 
Are we standing for the Lord in the middle of a field? Maybe we care about the field, maybe we don't. But are we standing for Him? Because in our nation, the church typically has not made a stand for the Lord. They haven't. Instead, rather, the church has taken the path of least resistance, like water. Uh, let me go this way, that way nobody will be mad at me. Let me say, I don't want to say what the Word says, because I might offend somebody. Listen, if somebody's running headlong off a cliff, are you just going to walk over and, and just gently try to keep them from going off the cliff? Or do you snatch them up? Can't be afraid to tell the truth. The Bible says, speak the truth in love. If my heart is to save a brother, it's okay to say what the Word says. If I offend someone, I want to offend him by what the Word says, not by what I said. You be offended at God, that's between you and Him. If you're offended at me, now I was in the way. I want to, I want to offend based on what God... Listen, Shammah, he stands in the field, he stands for the Lord. Everybody else flees, but he stands. These are the three mighty men of David. They did incredible feats, incredible things. And the, and the most important thing is these three guys loved David with all their heart. They loved him. They loved him. It says in verse 13, And three of the thirty chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. The valley of Rephaim, the valley of the giants. Oh, they're in the valley of the giants. David's in the cave of Adullam. He's hiding in the cave. He's, and, and the enemy, the Philistines, are between him and Bethlehem. You remember Bethlehem's where David's from. City of David. You know, that's why Joseph had to go back to Bethlehem when Jesus was born. Well... Here's what happens. It says, David was then in the stronghold. The garrison of the Philistines uh, was then in Bethlehem. So the, the, the chief generals, the main part of the army, there they are in, in Rephaim, but their, but their chief, the headquarters, is in Bethlehem. So this is the, the setup. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem. Oh, he grew up there, you know. And you ever had just that spring water that you just love to drink? And David's thinking in the cave of Adullam, like tasting the dust and the dirt. He says, man, it sure would be good to have a little of water from Bethlehem. That's crazy. That's the headquarters of the bad guys. And between the headquarters of the bad guys and us is the entire Philistine army. But David's not trying to send nobody. He just is longing. Man, that water, that'd be really good. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines. I don't want you to lose sight of what they do. These three guys I just talked about. Here David just mentioned that he would love to have something to drink from Bethlehem. So they pick up their swords and they fight by themselves, those three guys... All the way through the valley of Rephaim, through the valley of the giants, to Bethlehem. When they get to Bethlehem, that's the headquarters, so there's everybody there. So as they come to the well, which is by the gate, where you enter into Bethlehem, they circle around, and one of them dips down and brings out some water, while the other two are fighting off all the bad guys. And then they go from there, and they work their way back to the cave of Adullam. That's intense, man. 
That's how much they loved David. Just a comment by David that I wish I had some water. You ever heard the statement that I would storm the gates of hell with a bucket of water for you? When I went into boot camp, the, my, my staff sergeant in charge, the, my drill instructor, he said, most of you guys right now want to get on a plane and get out of here. But by the time we're done, if I told you to storm the gates of hell with a bucket of water, you'd do it. And we all said, whatever, man. Where do, I, where do I tear up the paper I signed to get here? Where's that line? But by the end of the 13 weeks, he was right. If he'd have told me, grab a glass of water and storm a gates of hell, I'd have done it. Because that's how much I respected him and how much he brainwashed me in that period of time. <laughs> David says he's thirsty, and these guys, truly, they... They storm the gates of hell. They go against the whole army. It says, now listen. So, uh, so the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water at the well of Bethlehem, was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it. But he poured it out to the Lord. He says, David says, far be it from me that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. He didn't drink the water. They go through all that. They go through all that battle. They fight. They go through all that crazy stuff to bring that glass of water to David. And David looks at that glass of water and he says, man, this is the most precious thing anybody's ever done for me. You guys just bled for me. Just random. You just, you just went to get me a glass of water and fought through all those guys. I mean, think of how they looked. I'm sure they're all cut up and beat up and it's been a long, hard battle to get him that glass of water. And David takes that most precious thing that he has. And he walks to the tabernacle. And he stands before the altar of God. And he pours it out on the Lord. He gives God the most precious thing he had. Listen. That's why those men loved David. They loved him because of his love for the Lord. Because of the way he loved God. And I bet if David said, I sure wish I had another glass, they wouldn't have complained. They'd have went back and got another one. That was David's three mighty men, the most mighty. We'll take a look at the rest of them next week as we wind up the life of David. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for this time that we can come before you and we can read your word and we can study about the heroes of the faith and the things that you did and the lives that you changed, God. And the things that you do and the, the power of changed lives still today. You took a shepherd boy and you made him a king. You took a 12-year-old scared to death about being a king of a mighty nation and having all these crazy soldiers around him and you made him the wisest ruler who ever walked on the face of the earth. And you still do it today. You take kids that got no business 
being anybody and you make them somebody in Christ. You take lives that are broken and confused and lost. And you help them find their purpose in Christ. You still do it today. You took three mighty warriors and you gave them purpose when they followed the man of David. Who gave them the example of how much he loved God. By giving the most precious thing he had to the Lord. All these things, Lord, you lay out as examples to us. Is this how we will walk with you? Is this how we will do the battle? Is this how we will fight the good fight of faith? Is this how we will finish our race? How will we be remembered by those who follow us, by those who look at our lives, or by those who see? Will, they, will, be, will we be remembered as someone who shone with the brightness of the morning because we reflected the light of Christ in our life? That's our desire, Lord. May we affect a world that is lost and spinning out of control by being just a little piece of stability. A little piece of joy, a little piece of love. As we reflect who you are, may we, salt and light, make a dark world thirsty for living water. And then, Lord, may you fill them up to overflowing. God, we pray, move in our midst, help us, as we seek to follow you in everything we do, and we give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close out tonight, we're going to close out with a word of worship. We invite you guys to worship with us, and afterwards we'll meet you out in the courtyard. I've seen something with tinfoil over it, so there might be some grub, and no, he's not here, so it's still here. So uh, if you guys want to join us for that, uh, we'll see you there. God bless you. Go in peace. in to your presence Lord I stand on a merciful ground yet with every step tread with prayer welcome in to the courts of the king I've been ushered in Step, tread with red, and I've walked face down as your glory shines around. 
Lord, and you've changed us from the inside out. Lord, and you're not done with us yet. Lord, I'm just so thankful for that. Lord, when we fall, you pick us up. Lord, when we stumble, Lord, you lead our steps. Lord, we just thank you. Lord, continue that work in each one of us, Lord. Lord, uh, we're lost without you. Lord, help us. We live in a world that's in desperate need of a Savior, of a God that loves them. You're not willing that any should perish, that all would come to a living relationship with a God that loves them. Lord, be with us now as we fellowship in Jesus' name. Amen.